0: to the TEH, the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about what they find interesting in tech this week. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash TEH49. This week we have all four regular hosts. I'm Randy Cassingham, founder of ThisIsTrue.com, the oldest entertainment feature on the internet, and the internet spam primer, helping you get your inbox back. I'm Kevin Savitz, the
1: founder of com, which recently sent its 18th million, 18 millionth fax.
0: Wow. wow. I
1: know. Yeah. And hello, shout out to the uh, guy on Twitter who uh, said he heard about uh, the uh, zero on this podcast. Hey, dude. Cool.
2: Hey. I'm Leo Notenboom, the Leo, surprisingly, behind AskLeo.com, where I answer people's tech questions and basically just sort of help people get a little bit more confident with dealing dealing with today's ever-changing and always confusing technology.
3: And I'm Gary Rosenzweig, and I do mobile games at CleverMedia.com. I talk about Mac stuff at MacMost.com, and I talk about WordPress stuff at WPTipsAndHacks.com. So, what have we been up to this week?
0: I did something kind of crazy this weekend. Uh, I, I think I, I mentioned this last week that um, my small county did a exercise on a mass shooting incident, and we got run of the school, and we brought in multiple agencies from surrounding counties and did a massive training on this. Like, what would we really do if this really happened? And uh, it went very smoothly. It was very, very, very interesting. Uh, I wrote about it in my blog, and uh, it's kind of sobering too because, you know, these times kind of require that even small towns practice this kind of an incident.
2: Hmm. It was kind of scary stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: Hmm. So what was, uh, tell me the most interesting moment that,
0: that happened during the day, something that surprised you? That, even in a scenario like this, where it's pretty well controlled, there were still rumors and what what happened was that the school had cameras or has cameras around in the school security cameras, and that you can look at them real time, you can um, back up and look at recordings and the idea was that you know somebody at the school hears shots and they get on the camera and they called nine one one to say what 's going on, so the person reported what he thought he saw, which was three different gunmen, which was interesting because we'd put in two fake gunmen, hmm. <laughs> so hmm. right away, we had this rumor that there were three gunmen and the the various police agencies that were you know going in and trying to neutralize the threat if you'd like to use the vernacular. Uh, we're basically expecting a third gunman, and we, you know, we at the command post knew there wasn't a third gunman. It's like, okay, we're not going to tell you because you know there's no omniscient narrator at a real thing like this. So you guys got to figure it out. And it was really interesting watching watching them figure through this and and think about you know are there three? Is is it possibly a rumor? Is it possibly bad information? Hmm. And it was really interesting watching them figure this out. Well, that's probably, I mean,
1: witnesses
2: are notoriously unreliable. Absolutely. Yeah. So the video that you're looking at, is that something that um, access to that video is is restricted or is that like, okay, okay. So this isn't like, you know, webcam video that any of the students or any of the parents could be watching online.
0: Right. It's a private internal system. And it was neat that we, you know, I, I went back there when things got into a lull and uh, watched the guy, and he was looking at, as it happened, uh, recordings of the actual assault going on and, you know, the cops trying to to shoot the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And we were using what they call simmunition, which is, you know, actual rounds that go into a Glock pistol that's been specially modified to only shoot this stuff so you can't accidentally put real ammunition in it. And, you know, it makes a big bang when you pull the trigger and it actually shoots a projectile, but it's, you know, something really soft that, you know, if, if you get hit by it, it's going to sting. Um, but it's not going to kill anybody. And that kind of just makes it even more realistic because you're hearing the bangs. Um, you're, you're trying not to get hit because it hurts. Uh, all this stuff. And it was very, very interesting watching the actual, you know, trying to, to shoot down the the bad guy. And, and we,
2: we get all that on video. It's just incredible. I assume there were like lots and lots and lots of lessons learned and some kind of oh, an after, yeah. after action report that has all sorts of great takeaways.
0: Yeah. We're going to get together in about two weeks to go through all the things we observed that, you know, things that didn't go smoothly, things that went wrong, et cetera. Um, my wife was actually on a special team to um, to be a medic, not for, you know, the the fake victims, but to be on standby in case any of the people involved in the exercise actually got hurt so that we had a team dedicated to respond in, you know, run into the school and take care of somebody that, you know, maybe got hit by a simulation around in the face or something like that, right. that, that where they were actually hurt. Wow. And happily, uh, the worst thing was a boo-boo that required a Band-Aid.
2: So. <laughs> <laughs> what was the... Um... Um, the, how do I want to put this? It's really easy to look through a lot of these after action reports and look for things that have gone wrong that you can do better next time. Right. How about like the biggest positive takeaway, the thing that really, really worked well?
0: Um, Bottom line is it went really smoothly. Um, We've done trainings on this before. This was the first simulation that we did from start to to finish. Uh, And I was actually shocked how smoothly it went, you know, especially for a small town. I mean, these people acted like absolute professionals. It was incredible to watch. Um, I had the privilege of being at the command post, um, which, which was kind of interesting. You know, I, I'm a volunteer medic and you'd think, you know, they'd need all the medics they can get. But as it turns out, I'm the expert in this County on radio communications and they had me doing stuff with that instead. Right. You know, there was basically nobody else to do that. So, um, the first thing I did was look at the communications plan and said, oh, no, no, you can't do it this way. And here's why. And I'm not going to say why on the right. air here. Of course, of um, course. Because, you know, for, for obvious reasons. But it was really interesting to, to see the, the emergency manager who put together the communications plan didn't resist. He didn't push back. He said, oh, well, okay, I see what you're saying. And let's, what's the better way of doing it? And I said, this way and he said okay we'll do it that way
3: awesome yeah awesome. so do they have it sounds like there were fake gunmen involved right so yes. there were people playing roles were right. there any people playing roles of like just somebody doing the wrong thing you know behaving in a way that they should not have behaved not the safest thing like that you know the
0: people not I- that i'm aware of um the the one thing they did do that i was really impressed with is they had, you know, some designated number of adult volunteers act as concerned parents that showed up at the scene, trying to get into the school to check on their kids.
3: Oh well, that's that's, kind of, I mean. yeah, that's what, kind of what I mean. Yeah, that's kind of what I mean. Yeah, something. Okay. like that. So you have to deal with that, you know, situation or you know somebody refusing to open a door, or refusing to close a door, or whatever. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, we had people hiding in closets, all that kind of stuff. That you know, the cops have to go in there, and quote unquote, clear the building, make sure that everybody's out. Everybody that's bad is somehow neutralized, either arrested or shot. And um, and it was just really neat to watch all this stuff and watch you know see these guys that have never been in this kind of a situation before, except in training. That you know thought these things through and figure thi- figured things out even with bad information, like, hey, there's, there's a third gunman in there somewhere. And they didn't shoot, as far as I heard, they didn't shoot any good guys. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Congratulations.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, is a risk. It's an absolute oh, sure. risk. Yeah, And that's why they, they teach victims of these shootings, uh, when you flee, have your head, hands in the air like you're giving up. Interesting. And you, you see that in the videos on, on TV when these things happen, which unfortunately they happen with ridiculous regularity. Uh, it is absolutely the right thing to do because it shows that you're not holding a weapon. If you've got your arms kind of near you, it's hard to tell. Hmm. Interesting. So it was really interesting. I wrote it up on my blog with obviously some details left out, but uh, I'll put a link to that on the show page.
2: Fascinating stuff. Kevin, what you been well, up to? I
0: can't compete with that. I know. <laughs> hey, for once, I beat out Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess my
1: fun, I told, I mentioned a few weeks ago that we uh, were getting a Tesla and, and uh, we we have, we have the, the Tesla now. Um, so far we've been charging it just by you know, plugging it into the wall, trickle charging it. And um, uh, that's clearly not going to be a good long-term solution. So yeah. we uh, basically, i I've, I've through this the last couple weeks had three electricians out to uh get bids on getting getting a a a better faster charger for the car uh and so kind of spent a lot of time walking around looking at at the 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 hallway next to the garage (laughs) with electricians um so i don't know how techy it is but it's kind kind of low tech but you know you gotta get some tech to uh get the, the high tech Tesla to, to go. So um uh first first uh guy came out and uh the thing is with our, our electrical panel is it's it's pretty full. It you know we just the way it is, it's it's pretty it's not absolutely packed, but it's 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 pretty full. And the uh the first guy who came out was just basically when I got the bid, it was just like, mm, you know, this electrical panel's almost 20 years old and isn't safe. And you just needed to completely replace it. And, you know, which adds like $2,500 to the job. And I was just like, this, this house is like not even 20 years old yet. This is, this is still up to code. It's, yeah. it's the guy was just ridiculous. You know, I don't know what he thought he was doing. He
0: figured because you're by the Tesla, you're rich and therefore he can just kind of gouge you.
1: Well, yes, he may have thought that. And, and, I may or may not be rich, but I'm not stupid. So I sent him, <laughs> I sent him packing God, for God's sake, man. It's a model three, not one of a roadster or something. Um, and then the uh, second guy came, seemed nice and uh, never actually got the estimate from him. So he was out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty, pretty, pretty typical for working with contractors, I guess. And, The third was great and the bid was sensible and uh, I signed them up. And so on Friday we're going to have them out and I'm going to have a uh, per Leo's uh, uh, recommendation, a NEMA 1450, a kind of plug that will work with any electric car, not just the Tesla. And so I figured that would be good for resale value of this property when one day I don't want to be here anymore.
2: Lots of different options for fourteen fifty, and if you're charging overnight, you're that's plenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it's, it beats the pants off of a one ten outlet for sure. Yeah, <laughs> which takes
0: days to charge a, a <laughs> yeah. car. Yeah. yeah,
2: so cool. Are you enjoying your Tesla?
1: I am. Um, You've been you allowed to drive it. it yeah. I have been allowed to drive it a bit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. It, I'm a little scared at like what that thing can do when you really, when you hit it, it, yes. it, it wants to go, it wants to go so hard. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but no, it's, it's a beautiful machine and uh, I'm, I, I like it very much. Very cool. Yeah.
2: That's all my news. What about you, Leo? Oh gosh. It's been one of those weeks where, you know, I'm sure that a lot of stuff happened, but I just have no recollection. Now it doesn't help that I'm actually, I've come down with like a head cold or chest cold or something like that. So I'm, I was kind of fuzzy for the last couple of days. So if I, if I sound a little scratchy and if I certainly, especially if I sound a little incoherent this evening, that's my excuse and I'm sticking with How it. Would, it's absolutely not adult beverages. <laughs> um, <clears throat> actually, those are part of the, uh, of the medication. Uh, that's right. You know, Hot toddy is good for the throat, right? Yeah, Sure. <laughs> um, but no it's it's been a normal week just lots of lots of question and answers tweaking to the to the asklio site um, you know at the at the geeky techie level learning some stuff about uh, um, WordPress plugins Gary I know that you've got a WordPress uh, you know your new WordPress site yep. up and running I actually learned it's it's convenient sometimes to be the administrator on somebody else's WordPress site because I learn from the WordPress site of a friend who might actually be part of this podcast of a Lightbox plugin that I started using not intentionally for my site, although I've it's, I've actually started using it for ask Leo, but I used it on one of the uh, nonprofits that I help and it just solves the problem wonderfully. Uh, this is one of those cases where, this is Wassart. I've spoken about Wassart before, and they have these after-action kind of write-ups about here's what we did, here's what happened, and a lot of pictures. And in moving to a new WordPress site, the ability to have like a gallery with a very responsive um, a uh, lightbox to be able to scroll through all the pictures and so forth has been very very helpful. So cribbing that idea from Randy's site has been very uh, very helpful and that's one of the things I ended up doing
3: last week and
2: to help. With. so Gary how about
3: you? Oh not too much. I was just thinking that that uh that was a Neiman 1450 uh
2: yeah, it's NEMA. It's the National NEMA. Electrical
3: Mechanical Association. Yeah, I, I wonder, a Kettle hooked up to that, how fast it could make a cup of tea. Because, <laughs> you know, like... It's, you know, just, like, yeah. Yeah, it's I, just
2: a 250 outlet, right? It's just oh, a, really? Okay. Yeah, that's so it's, all it is. It's a 250, but the, the, the um, I think, the, what is it, the 14 has to do with, I'm not sure, I think it's the wire gauge, and 50 has to do with the number of amps that it can provide.
0: Right. So, it, it, it's, it uses a 50-amp uh, circuit breaker, which means you can safely pull 40 amps through it.
2: Right.
3: right. Cool. Yeah, because that always bothers me, you know, how fast you can make uh, make tea when you're in Europe.
2: Yeah. Yes, and exactly.
3: Kettles, and then you get the same kettle here, and, of course, it's got to work. Uh, on so the now you can
2: system. go – Kevin could go out to his garage to make tea.
3: Yes, I, <laughs> I would I do that. Get tea. Very I, soon. Believe me, I've been tempted to, you know, look into how much it would cost to get like a <sighs> 220 outlet in the kitchen just to get <laughs> <laughs> You know, because it it's incredible in Europe. I mean, really, you press that button down. You know, you by know, the time you the time you pick out a tea bag, you've got boiling water.
2: There's impatience and there's impatience. I mean, <laughs> is life really that hectic that you can't wait? An Sometimes extra
1: you need tea in? now. You're a coffee drinker. You don't <laughs> understand, Leo. Sometimes I
3: need but it's, it now. You, you want that 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 patient part of it is when the the tea bag is in there. You know, it's it's doing its thing. Mm-hmm. And not waiting for the water to boil, you know, because right. it's, I don't know, there's something about you get the aroma, right, and all that stuff. So Just
1: get one of those hot water faucets that <laughs> you can just
3: uh, – uh, Yeah, it's always on tap. Just it's always boil. on tap, yeah. They're never hot enough. That's mm. yeah, true. They're never close to boiling. And, and we already have that problem here at Altitude, in Denver, oh. where we're already below 200 degrees Fahrenheit. So we're already not making the tea the proper way, you know we don't have the, the temperature high enough
2: so. what if you could repurpose an instant pot to make tea cuz that's a pressure cooker right
3: yeah there
2: you go sounds dangerous
3: <laughs> Super healing
0: microwave water
3: so uh so y- y- your trip to the er so exactly what happened <laughs> well <laughs> really i wanted like to, i wanted a cup of tea and i wanted it fast <laughs>
2: I wanted it to temperature.
3: and I, wanted so I it, used my Instant Pot. I wanted it to temperature. Okay, can you wait here while we bring all the rest of the staff to hear that story again? <laughs> no, 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 no
2: they're, not bringing, they're not bringing all the staff. They're just going directly to the psych ward and getting this doctor out of there. Yeah, tell that story to this camera.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we should probably get on to stories before the hour is up. All right. <laughs> yeah. If we must. I got.
0: So I picked up this thing. Um, this is in the... It's about freaking time department. Uh, Google has announced that the next version of the Chrome browser, version 71, they're currently on 70 point whatever, will block any and all ads on sites with, quote, abusive ad experiences. So, you know, things like these fake things that you've won a contest or that your computer is infected and all that kind of garbage, uh, they're going to just block those those ads. And, you know, there's some pros and cons about, you know, Google saying, you know, is Google really setting the standard and and making sure that the the web is a safe place? That's kind of, you know, big brother versus, yeah, we need to do this. This is obvious um, bad acting stuff. And, you know, we have the power to block it for, you know, at least the customers that use our browser.
2: And I say, great. I find it interesting. I mean, Google is clearly putting themselves in the position of arbiter um, to uh, decide what is and what is not an abusive experience. So in the, the proof really will be in the putting as to exactly what they will mean by an abusive experience. Well, and
0: they did say that that they would notify site owners using the Google
2: webmaster Tools. <laughs> which, is, which is awesome, right which is exactly to say, although, hey we
0: 're finding this on your
2: site what, do you, you know, what about this but doesn 't that imply that as a website owner, you must have signed up for webmaster tools first yeah, probably so so I mean, for all those sites that haven 't bothered to do so they 'll just not get that notification, apparently. But the point is that, you know, and it's great. I mean, you know, obviously, I think we're all signed up for Webmaster Tools. It's a great feedback mechanism. Um, and, but we're also not the kind of sites that are going to do these abusive experiences. But I just think it'll be really interesting to see where they draw the line. What kind of, of abusive experience are they really going to be going after? How abusive do you have to be mm-hmm. uh, before, before? It'll be interesting to watch. I agree.
3: Yeah, because there's some, some sites I go to that are completely legitimate sites. But they're so desperate to break even, money wise, that they have some pretty bad clickbait advertise advertisements, including newspapers
2: yeah, and stuff. yeah,
3: I'm thinking newspapers primarily, and and you know, and some of those ads are just scams. I mean,
2: but but the I, the I mean that's that's why this is going to be so interesting to see how it plays out because in many cases those ads that are clickbaity type scams were provided by Google's own ad network. So you'd yeah. think that those kind of ads could have been cut off at the source before involving any of the websites that they happen to appear on. Hear, hear. To
1: the thought I had is uh, this is a physician heal myself situation for Google. <laughs> um, all I have a lot of websites and I monetize those websites with Google's AdSense. And for years I had been battling bad ads and, Clearly, what I think a bad ad is and what they think a bad ad is are different. Um, there used to be ads that like looked like an error message and those have gone away like across the board. But there's still plenty of ads that just like have a big button that says download now it, that are meant to fool the user into thinking that's how you're going to download the thing on my website. And then once you download the thing, it installs toolbars and ad trackers and and affiliate redirectors and and all sorts of different software and 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 i have complained to adsense about this hundreds of times over the years
2: and they clearly don't care and um do they not care or do they not have the resources to, to deal with what is clearly a massive infrastructure of of ads that are getting thrown at them every day well, if,
1: if they can't handle that, then how are they going to handle the infrastructure in Chrome of, of every ad on every network? They can't handle their own house. How are they
2: going to handle... Again, I, I, my guess, <clears throat> and obviously I'm just speculating, is it's not about the ads. It's about the experience. So I think it was Randy that mentioned like it's these these full-page pop-ups or these these interstitials that prevent you from seeing the content or... Yeah any number of those kinds of behaviors as opposed to actual ads that are interfering with the user experience.
1: Well, I hope they can do what they can to clean it up and make the web better. But Hey, it's about friggin' time and B <laughs> right. um,
0: you've got your own problems.
2: There's so, so much more that could be done. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I actually, you know, a couple of years ago now took AdSense ads off of my main site because they kept warning me about things that I was talking about, which, you know, I'm talking about newspaper articles and making comments on them and and what this means about humanity and society. And they were giving me all sorts of grief for showing their ads on sites that talked about, you know, boobies and stuff. Um, and at the same time, they were putting these absolutely disgusting ads on my site Mm -hmm. that were much worse than anything I was ever talking about. And I was just talking about actual news stories. So I yanked the stories and I put a whole bunch of examples of what Google was putting on my site that completely violates what they say their standards are.
3: Yeah. And I'll be interested to see too, uh, if they determine a site has these abusive experiences it's not i don't think there's sites out there that are actually selling that many ads right themselves they're using either if it's not google another one of these networks and these other networks have the same issues right some certain ones are very click clickbaity and some of them are they they range from harmless clickbait of just stupid humor stories that you really shouldn't waste your time on to actually things that are pretty you know bad I I think that are kind of an abusive experience kind of thing. But if you're a site like that and you just sign up for one of these networks that everybody seems to be using, then you get flagged for being, you know, a bad site, but you didn't pick those ads. You know, you're just using this ad network that everybody else is using. And
1: I use an ad network, so I don't have to pick ads. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And they actually use, you know, if you look through, you know, Google has their kind of third party thing, right? They're serving up their own ads of people going to Google and saying, I want to advertise on websites. But then they're also filling in with all these networks. There's hundreds of them that have all these weird names and Google is allowing them to actually insert their ads through the Google network and definitely some of them would I mean are, are some of the worst of the worst and you know hopefully they they eventually get caught and banned but then they probably just pop up with a slightly different name or something
0: well it's certainly one of the things that ad or excuse me site owners really have to pay attention to I when I had google ads on my site you know I would get a, a reader saying hey I clicked on this ad and this is what happened I said, and I thought that's really abusive mm-hmm. uh, and I would block that kind of ad but you know, then the advertiser would say, "Oh, we're getting blocked a lot," so they would close their advertising account mm-hmm. and open a new one with a Get a new
1: URL and new and start right. all yeah. over again. Yep, and yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, a a it's a whack-a-mole game that I've been playing for years.
2: Yeah, uh, I stopped playing the game. I just there was no way for me to do it. Um, if somebody reports something truly abusive to me, which, I, to be honest, I haven't heard a lot of lately. Um, absolutely, I'll go in and block an advertiser. But to actually proactively uh, sit there and monitor all the ads and advertising that shows up on my website—it's impossible. It's impossible. It's absolutely yeah. impossible. It's it's worse than a game of whack-a-mole because there's you know with whack-a-mole you can at least have a chance of hitting the thing. Mm. Um, you just don't in a situation yeah. like this.
1: But in the, in the bigger bigger picture of all this, though, we're, we're getting back to Google once again. Making itself, decreeing itself, the the arbiter of the web, which we have talked about before. The yes, web's you know,
0: police force,
1: forcing everyone to to move to HTTPS, which is a good thing. Except that, should we be forced? You know, should should by Google decree? Is that something we're going to have to do? And then again, with this very popular web browser, they're going to decide. I I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, it seems like they're doing good choices for the right reasons, but. They're, they're taking choice away in the wrong way. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yep. So. All right. Well, I think we've beaten that up. So Leo, this sounds really horrible that um, BitLocker you can bypass BitLocker if you've encrypted your
2: SSD drive. So um, what this, the, what's, this, what's going on here? This is both. Um, first of all, once again, it's another clickbaity headline uh, across multiple sites, the, the instance we have is the um, honestly very reputable site, howtogeek.com. You can't trust and, and the register. And the register, right. You can't trust BitLocker to encrypt your SSD on Windows. Well, yes and no. Uh, everybody's pointing the finger at BitLocker, but it's not BitLocker's fault. And BitLocker turns out to be the solution. So what's happened is that there are a number of SSDs, and I believe this actually might also be true for some uh, traditional magnetic uh, media hardware uh, or magnetic media drives that include their own encryption. What it boils down to is that if a drive offers hardware encryption, BitLocker will elect to use that. It makes the gross assumption that the hardware manufacturer knew what they were doing when they encrypted their drive. As it turns out, that was potentially a bad solution for some drive manufacturers. And to be clear here, the issue is... The drives themselves, specific manufacturers have vulnerabilities in their encryption that allow the drives hardware encryption to potentially, and we don't really even know how big a, how big an issue this is, but potentially uh, be circumvented. So the quote unquote right solution is to, if you're using BitLocker for whole drive encryption on these drives, step one turn it off. So BitLocker basically goes through and completely decrypts the drive. So all of the information on the drive is unencrypted. Step two, use the uh, group policy editor to change a setting that tells BitLocker, ignore hardware uh, encryption, always use software encryption, and then re-encrypt the drive. Because BitLocker's encryption is just fine. BitLocker works well if you let BitLocker do the encryption. It's this reliance on the hardware encryption that seems to be causing problems. So the bottom line is it's totally ridiculous to blame BitLocker for this. it, It is. The only thing that BitLocker did quote unquote wrong would be to trust the drive manufacturers. And there's reasons to do so because obviously hardware level encryption is probably going to be faster than implementing the encryption in software. But when it comes down to security, you know what? It's worth a few extra cycles to get the encryption right. It really is. <laughs> so, so that's really all that's going on here. And in fact, um, I quickly went through the machines that I have uh, BitLocker turned on. on. And um, yeah, I've, I don't have a machine that's actually vulnerable. I don't have one that was... Uh, using hardware encryption, but nonetheless i 'm going through the through the motions of of making sure I understand exactly how to tell people to uh, to turn it off and back on again basically reboot your encryption is the right way to do to, to deal with this and it'll be
0: know, and I assume that in order to get around it, you have to have physical access to the machine
2: in the first place physical access to the machine or the drive right yeah. so if you for example, steal the machine, steal the drive, whatever, my understanding is that that's where you actually have the uh, the ability and to be clear for this kind of encryption bitlocker level encryption when you're logged in the drive is accessible unencrypted so if somebody has remote access to your machine while you're logged in or if they can log in as you the encryption's not playing a part here your all of your data that is there is visible that's the point the point is to keep things encrypted and secure when you are not logged in, when the machine is turned off, when, when you are traveling, for example, is the, is the, the biggest example uh, you know, make sure that the machine's turned off and, and you can't log in as you, because as soon as you log in as you, well, you've got the credentials to access all the data. So, right. That's all it really boils down to. Again, I mean, we've had this discussion before about uh, what I tend to refer to as clickbaity headlines. Um, in this case, there's a lot of finger pointing at windows at BitLocker at Microsoft. And you know, there are plenty of other reasons to point fingers at Microsoft. We don't need to manufacture them. (laughs) Can can I
1: switching topics maybe, and maybe you don't even want to talk about this, Leo, but you did a a Twitter rant recently yelling at Microsoft. And my
2: my first tweet storm. I'm so proud.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Um, can you talk about what made you so
2: upset to tweetstorm at Microsoft? So this goes back to the uh, the Windows Ten update eighteen oh nine. Now, for those that don't know, eighteen oh nine is actually an encoded year and month. It's the year twenty eighteen and the month that the update was completed or finished or whatever, not necessarily the month that it was released, but the month that it was, I don't know, cast in stone. Completed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 1809 had a problem. Um, it actually had several problems, of course, but the biggest one was that for some small percentage of users, it would delete data. Now, I say that very cavalierly, but that's the kind of deletion that was happening. It was like your documents directory or your music directory or whatever was empty after the upgrade, regardless of how much it happened to have before. Yeah, It's a very small percentage of people that, that were experiencing it, but clearly data deletion is the worst possible kind of problem that an operating system can have. <clears throat> so... Um, I I wrote an article a while back, Microsoft, we can do better, you can do better, we deserve better, I think actually was my title, Um, and it just, it resonated with a lot of people, because they can do better, we do deserve better, there was clearly a problem in the process that led to that thing being, honestly, prematurely released, it should not have been released in the state That it was. Uh, And in fact, it hasn't been released yet. Uh, We've moved on now. We're in month 11. Uh, There's a possibility that 1809 won't be released until sometime in the 11th month. That's an unheard of delay. Um, Even minor problems in the past or, or some major problems in the past have been delayed maybe by a week. Or two. I don't want to harp on the amount of time that it's taking because I think a lot of people use that as some kind of, a, a, of a, a, an anvil or, or a hammer to, to basically badmouth Microsoft. I want Microsoft to take whatever time they need to get this thing correct, right? I don't, I mean, I want the problems to be resolved. I want the, the, the release to be safe, The way I characterized it, both in the article and the tweet storm, is that taking Windows Update, especially these major ones, shouldn't be a game of Russian roulette. And that's what it feels like right now. You do not know when you pull the trigger if that sucker's loaded and if it's going to delete or destroy the machine you're installing it on. I hear from people all the time who are the unlucky ones, who absolutely are uh, experiencing negative installs, uh, negative results from having installed the Windows update. So yeah, the tweet storm and the article both have have a specific set of of steps that that I honestly think that Microsoft needs to do. I have no idea if they're going to do it. I hope they do. I hope somebody's listening there. Uh, I do have it on good authority that um, my article at least has been seen within the company. But whether anything's going to come of that. Your guess is as good as mine, but yeah, it's a big issue. They, they need to do better. We deserve better. And I hope we get better
0: here. Here, All right. So Kevin, what the heck is a fuzz bot? I don't, I'm a little fuzzy on
1: the details. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is, I think this is the thing that, that geeky programmers know about. I had not heard about this before. I thought it was super interesting. There uh, is there's, there's a, a technique called fuzzing, or a, a tool you can use called a fuzzing tool, and it it looks for problems uh, for bugs in applications by, I guess, throwing large, just huge amounts of of random data in the in the application at it, you know, through inputs or or, or whatever, and seeing making it crash, seeing seeing what will go wrong, analyzing the the output for for weird stuff and crashes, and basically finding bugs by feeding in garbage. Um, and so that the, the, an application to do that is called a, a fuzzing tool. And Google has one. Um, it's called OSFuzz, O-S-S-Fuzz. And um, it's been an open source application that you can download. Uh, you've been able to download for since 2016 and run it against your own applications to help find problems. Uh, they recently made a cloud version, bot version of this thing and have run it against popular open source applications. And in doing so, they have found more than 9,000 bugs in open source apps that we all use, presumably things like WordPress and and uh, that sort of stuff. And... Uh, then they alert the the makers of, of these uh, programs so that hopefully the uh the, these bugs can can be fixed um, thought it was interesting i don't know just uh that hadn't occurred to me that on a wide wide scale that uh that you can use software to try to fix
2: software or at least find problems with it. Fuzzing has been something that's actually been around for a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. The hardest part is, um, <laughs> to be honest, getting administrative approval because mm-hmm. fuzzing on one hand, yeah, throw random stuff at your program and see what happens. Uh, the counter argument is that real people, real usage, they don't throw random stuff. So this is a waste of time. Hmm. But, but real, real hackers that, probably do. <laughs> Um, they do and they don't, but yes, you're right. Um, the reality is that the, the fuzzing uh, ex, uh, exposes basically a wide variety of bugs ranging from the truly meaningless to the truly horrific. Yeah. And it's that latter one that you want to catch. It's another tool that helps you catch those. Sure.
1: Anyway, that was interesting.
3: That makes sense to me. I mean, as a developer too often you do things like say create an input where it's like enter a date and your your code expects there to be some reasonably formatted date and what if somebody just slams the keyboard and hits return right. and it crashes the app you know it shouldn't right. crash the app it should uh you know, just say, you know, that's not a date or something like that. And sometimes it can crash the app in a way that's not really good that, you know, create Or
1: it could overflow a buffer and start writing data into some other area that you're really not supposed to be touching. And all of a sudden you've changed a password, you know, uh, and then you can log in using that new password because you wrote in a crazy date, for instance. Hmm.
2: It's my position, for example, that for web applications or even just websites, internal server error should never happen. And yet, you can create internal server errors by throwing random stuff on the command line, on the URL. Um, that's fuzzing, right? And that's the kind of stuff that potentially exposes um, not necessarily bugs that are immediately leverageable, vulnerabilities that are potentially you know vulnerable right then and there, but they give clues as to how this software might be written and how it might be exploited.
0: Hell, I've seen internal server errors by going to a URL that's supposed to be legitimate.
2: Well, that's, <clears throat> that's a different issue, in the sense that um, you know, clearly something obvious um, has, been, has been misconfigured. The easiest, I mean, there, there are many, many ways to misconfigure something and get an internal server error uh, uh, you know, by, by having done so. But what I'm talking about is an otherwise well-operating system that's working for all the normal use cases you throw random stuff at it, it'll give you an internal server error, and it shouldn't. It just shouldn't. It should be able to handle whatever he- the heck you want to throw at it and have that um, uh, you know, behave in some rational way.
0: Sorry. Right. Very interesting. Yeah. So, Gary, uh, you have found an interesting story that it might be illegal to remotely wipe your phone if you lose track of it.
3: Well, I I thought this this was interesting. It's a a really minor, minor story that opens up an issue. Because we've talked before about, you know, police getting access to the data on your phone. And can, you know, do you have to give them your password? Do you have to let them use your thumbprint or your face to get into your phone? That kind of thing. But in this situation, uh, which is to be expected, would have happened eventually. uh, A a woman was arrested uh, and her phone was taken uh, as evidence. Right, it sounds like just pretty much everything she had was taken as evidence. It was some sort of uh drive by shooting incident type of thing, and she was the driver, so this phone was taken as evidence, and the police possessed the phone has official evidence in this case she or she allegedly then remotely wiped the phone, you know, and on an iPhone that's pretty easy and Android too you know you can go into your iCloud account and say, wipe the phone." Um, and you're supposed to do that, of course. If your phone is stolen, uh, for instance, you should wipe it so that you know nobody could get access to your data. That kind of thing. Well, the thing was, the phone was in evidence, so she got charged a bunch of charges, including tampering with police evidence, uh, and you know uh, uh, there was another uh, some some sort of um, let's see, physical evidence and hindering prosecution. Um, and you would expect, if, for instance, somebody took a piece of evidence from you and then you somehow got into the police evidence room and destroyed it, yeah, she would get charged with tampering with evidence or something like that. And that's kind of what she did. But it's a weird situation, right? Because she didn't actually go into the police station. She did this remotely. And it is her phone. And let's forget about this particular case completely. You know, the police take the, a phone from you and say, this is evidence. And now it's a crime if you were to wipe that phone remotely, even though you're not actually violating the space of the police. You know. I don't think the, I don't think yeah. there's a
2: physical space issue here at all. Yeah. I really do think it's once it's in their possession, it's evidence, and regardless of whether you're in the room or not, tampering with evidence is tampering with evidence. And so, I've heard of that charge even when
0: somebody you know deletes dirty pictures on their phone that might be, you know, criminal in nature, that you're destroying the evidence. Well, yeah. (laughs) uh,
2: But, you know, you're damned if
0: you do and you're damned if you don't. If you
2: delete that stuff before it's in the police possession.
0: Well, no, I've I've heard of that charge happening when you, you know, you hear or fear the police are, are on you, that, you know, you're a school teacher and you've got, you know, pictures of the students and they delete them. You can be charged with with destruction of evidence in that
2: case, even so before you're arrested. Is shredding documents because you hear the police are on their way, destruction of evidence? Technically,
0: yeah, I, th- I think, in, in a lot that, of states
2: at least. Yeah, then I then I suspect that this falls into all the exact same buckets. Um, that, in fact, this probably shouldn't surprise anybody.
3: Yeah, so my, my thought from the police standpoint is, um, is one of the things that should be kind of standard in police stations that have evidence rooms? Uh, might be a small Faraday cage.
2: Yeah, I thought that was standard. Yeah, in this. I, I suspect the other thing: turn the
3: phone off. Well, yeah, and I clearly think, the phone was on in order to be remotely wiped. Right, and I think they do. I think I have heard that if, say, it's a crime lab and they are going to actually, you know, turn a phone back on. I believe it is in a type of Faraday cage that they do it, just to prevent this kind of thing. I believe I've heard that, or maybe I saw it on a television show. But uh, <laughs> I, no, I usually, think it's
0: kind of standard for the professionals that yeah. do this, as opposed yeah. to you know, run-of-the-mill street cops.
3: Yeah, because you don't want to have it. Have it. Uh, you know, you're, you're you don't want to have it suddenly. He turned it on. It, and The first thing that happens is it gets wiped because there was that command out there. So
2: do we know what kind of, I mean, how big a police office was this or police, you know, locality?
0: Well, it, the story is that it was connected in New York. So you'd think that's a fairly big town and a fairly professional police department. Because I could it,
2: certainly it, understand it happening in a small town police office, right? It,
3: it yeah. doesn't say how quickly it happened. It's just that after it was taken from her. So, I mean, it could have happened or, you know, it could have happened before they could have gotten it to an evidence room and put it into a Faraday cage, or before turn, they got to shut it off.
2: Turn the phone off. I mean, yeah. you can do that immediately. So
3: Now, and of course, there's the whole complicated issue of cloud services, right? So it could be like, uh, you know, in the case of da- any type of data, really, not just pictures, that the data isn't actually on the phone when they take it into evidence. But if they were to gain access to the phone, then they could access their cloud services.
2: So does that imply that changing your password is just tampering with evidence? Yeah. Because that would be the way to prevent them from accessing the information in your cloud.
3: Yeah. And so, I mean, and here's the thing. It's like, if your phone's out of your possession, so let's assume a citizen that has done nothing wrong, but, and, you know, the police have taken some evidence because they need to get to the bottom of something. So your phone is no longer in your possession first thing that I would do is change my password, not because I want to hide anything, but because well, the phone's no longer my possession. I can't vouch for the security of my data. Right. Right. I don't know who may have access to the phone now. I have no right. idea. Right. So I changed my password, but now it's tampering with evidence. So what do you do? You know, what if somebody were to compromise your password un, un you know, related to this? And it's like, oh, I better change my password. But I can't because my phone is in an evidence room because I was in the building when this thing happened and they took everybody's phones. Anyway, interesting problems to think about. It
2: know. really is. Yeah. And, and for the record, for all of our listeners, none of us are lawyers. None of this should be taken yeah. as legal advice. You know. Absolutely. If you, if you do find yourself in a situation where these questions are actually coming up for real in your life, Contact an actual attorney for assistance. And, and oh, also, yeah.
1: you've lost your phone, so you can't be listening to this podcast anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well,
2: they're dedicated <laughs> listeners. They're listening on their PC and they have a backup phone. Just to oh, I and see. that kind of stuff. Sure.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. Sure.
0: <laughs> all right. Hey. All right. I think we've beaten that one to death. Yep. Kevin, Netflix.
1: (laughs) I want to talk about Netflix. Uh, Saw an interesting article. Uh, Apparently Netflix has a thing they do um, twice a year. um, And uh, it's called Hack Day. And they invite their developers or just anyone who is a Netflix employee to come up with crazy ideas, hack it together and present what they find. And, I uh, read an interesting article at The Verge about this, um, and the the thing that I, I saw that I particularly liked was um, a couple of developers created, uh, but you know how when you start a, a show on, on Netflix, uh, it, show, it starts showing the intro, and there's a little button that says skip intro, right? So you can just click that if you if you're binge watching, you don't want to see the intro for the twentieth time. You can just skip the intro. Well, someone uh, hacked a version, a, a button like that into the Sharknado movie, and but the, instead of saying "skip intro," the button says "jump to shark." so you, you can skip all the boring parts of the movie. They don't have sharks in them. <laughs> you watch the scene with the shark, and as soon as it's over, you can hit jump to shark again and jump straight ahead to the next sharky bit. Um, I thought that was really cool, and I just love the idea of coming up with you know weird innovations because who knows? It's a little R&D that a company can do to, to come up with, uh, with new ideas. Uh, there were some other interesting... They, they linked to Netflix's uh, official blog where they have been... Blogging about these these hack days going back since since 2014, you can see all sorts of interesting ideas people have come up with there. Uh, one of them is is clearly for Netflix employees. Uh, it's called Lunchbot. Uh, it will uh, search people's uh, employees' calendars who are free during lunch and randomly invite four people to lunch with you. <laughs> so. You, know, you can meet, meet huh. people you work with who are available. Um, there, uh, going back a couple of years, uh, there was one called uh, someone made a Netflix vending machine, which was like a, a kiosk where you can learn about Netflix and sign up You know, from a, a kiosk in a mall or, or something like that. Um, anyway, a lot of interesting ideas. And uh, I just like the idea of,
2: uh, you know, let's just get to the good parts of the movie. Well, I just want to see the sharks, that's all. I just have this vision of the button saying, you know, jump to the good part, and then you hit it, and then all of a sudden you're rolling final credits. <laughs> Sharknado, that might be the, what happens, yes.
3: I I love it to actually maybe put up a some sort of little meter about how important the part is that you're watching now, especially watching old classic movies. You're like, "Oh, I've always heard about this movie. It's oh, yeah. the old movie." And then you get, and it's like, "Okay, should I really be paying attention to this scene? Is this going to be like important, or is this some sort of iconic scene?" And I want to be told, "No, no, this scene doesn't matter." But this scene of coming up here—that's actually that's an that's actually a good idea. Classic yeah. movie. Yeah. because yeah.
1: yeah. now yeah, I've heard of things for uh, uh, apps that you, when you go to the theater, the apps will tell you when it's safe to go pee. <laughs> you know, when you're,
2: when you're,
1: when I think you're it's run, run go p yeah yeah uh run go P that's it, and basically I mean you you tell it when the movie starts, and then I guess it you know does a little buzz in your pocket when it's like uh, entering a scene where it's it's uh, safe to to miss it for a couple of minutes, and you need, yeah exactly that for Netflix, but for yeah, just like how how important is this scene coming up I, I'm, Significant fine, I'm, I'm watching Casablanca for the first yeah. time, finally being forced to watch it, and <laughs> man but Can I go get a sandwich right now, or or should I wait? So yeah,
3: cool. Well, for the next Hack Day,
1: yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I love. I should. uh, I should have my my company do a Hack Day. There you go. Yeah. Of course, I only have one programmer, so
3: (laughs) there you go. Well, invite them to lunch. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, and the other interesting little thing I found, uh, uh, I had talked a couple of months ago right here uh, about uh, the UPS's uh, service where they send me pictures of my mail that I'm going to get that day. Um, and I saw an interesting article saying uh, that U- the U.S. Secret Service warns that identity theft thieves are abusing that, that mail scanning service <laughs> in order to, Find out information about people, and then you know uh, get credit cards in their names and, and that sort of thing. Um,
2: so, is the, so the service still running?
1: The service is still running, and I still get my emails every day, which, like I've said before, end up being pretty useless. Where I, I get a, a picture of the mail that I'm going to get in four or five hours. It doesn't give me any actionable information, uh, and yet I just haven't bothered to go and subscribe. But so basically, uh, what is happening is they have found that that people uh, uh, scammers are signing up as other people to get, to get pictures of other people's mail in their email. And then they can get, you know, their name and address and just whatever information you can get off of the front of an envelope and given enough information, then they uh, manage to, to to try to,
0: Well, to, and they can, if they hack in, they can see when you're delivered a credit card. Sure. Or they can order a credit card in your name and then, you know, snap it out of your mailbox. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting that the agency that figured this out and warned USPS was the U.S. Secret Service. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. that the obvious solution to this is you don't activate it until you what? Send somebody something in the mail. Yes. And the post mm-hmm. office wasn't it. doing that. They would yeah.
1: activate it and without sending a piece of mail saying, Hey, you're, you've signed up for the service. I
0: have. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's really moronic. I mean, come on.
2: Yeah. It's funny because it's as frustrating as it is, there are a couple of services, actually government services that I've had to sign up for over the years, where, okay, great, you're all done signing up, except we sent you an actual physical piece of paper to your, to your physical address that has a code you have to enter before you can actually use our service.
0: Which happened to me with the IRS this year. I mean, yep. I was my yep. tax guy wanted to know what my secret number was to, to file the return. It's like, I can't find it. So I logged into IRS. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. And they wouldn't give it to me online. They right. said, okay, we will email you something to let you access your account. Yep. Yeah. It's it's frustrating. And yet
2: and yet I understand. Yeah. It's it's a good thing.
3: So. Yeah. Hmm.
2: Well, on that note, what's coming up this week, guys? Ooh.
3: Not 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 much for me, just you know, uh
0: We need to come up with stuff. better stories at the end.
3: I
2: know. I mean, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm oh, answering no. question. Oh, wow. Well. All right. Fine. I'm, I'm gonna going pl- to
1: <laughs> I'm gonna plug in my Tesla and watch it charge a little bit faster than it used to.
3: <laughs> Yay. I'm going to enroll in a martial arts class. Whoa. And oh, wow,
2: he's actually got a real story. To,
3: <laughs> I'm going to uh, buy a motorcycle. <laughs> and I am going to... Um, yeah. Uh I don't know. Uh, do one of those zero gravity flights. You that know, that'd
1: be fun. Yeah. yeah. No, you should totally that's do my, that. Now, that's
3: my plan. That's my plan for this week. I'll let you know if any of that stuff happens. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's kinda of like wait, wait, don't tell me. If any of that
1: happens,
0: yeah, <laughs>
3: we'll tell you about it. <laughs> Next week on check a
1: thusias hour. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: None of that stuff's gonna happen, is it?
1: No, I probably
3: so. I I I don't see that uh, any of that stuff happening. <laughs>
0: Nice. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think that's a wrap. All right. Well, a quick note if you don't use a podcast app that automatically downloads episodes for you, you can get an email notification every time a new TEH episode posts, so you can listen to it on its
2: show page.
1: Also, get a podcast app that automatically downloads episodes. It just that too. Yeah, just do that.
2: Yeah. The, the, <laughs> don't yeah. feel guilty if you don't. No, you, you feel uh,
1: guilty. Be, no. be a better podcast consumer. Just look if you use <laughs> iOS, Use iOS, get overcast or downcast. Those you don't have apps. to feel Those
0: guilty but there are
1: easier ways.
3: What about iTunes? You could just use iTunes. Right? Uh, don't use the podcast app; it's terrible. Or the podcast
1: app.
2: Podcast. No, it's it's no good. It works. I like Android, overcast. I use, that is, what's that one we're using, Randy? Um, pod Pod something. I like
0: actually it. dumped it off my phone because oh, I, found I was. Listen, I was doing better listening. Um, on, on the show pages and just streaming it. Oh,
2: okay. What? Well, it's Podcast yeah. Republic um, is the, the app that I've got on my phone. I rarely ever use it, um, but it is something that I can use to subscribe to a variety of podcasts. The other approach, honestly, is I end up using Feedly, which is technically an RSS reader, but yeah. podcasts are made available as too. RSS feeds, and that means you can fire it up in your browser when a new podcast shows up. It's just there. You hit a play button, and off you go.
0: Yep. Hmm. I use that too. All right. Well, meanwhile, the show notes for this week are at slash teh49. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at the tehpodcast. And now you know this isn't pre recorded. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you again here next week.
2: Yep. Bye. Bye. Bye.